Hey guys, welcome back to The Cost of Winning. My name is Wesley Donahue, and the purpose of this podcast is to answer two questions. What does it take to win, and what does it take to be a winner? And we do that by talking to a bunch of political winners, and today I'm joined by my friend Chris Wilson. Chris is one of the best pollsters and data guys on the Republican side, and these days he is over in Atlanta helping out the Ron DeSantis pack never back down, heading up all their polling and data. Super interesting conversation, so listen up. So Chris, where are you joining us from today? I'm in the never back down offices in Atlanta, Georgia. Is that where you're post up full time now? It is. Yeah, I actually moved here a few weeks ago and brought the family over and left my home and Oklahoma City, and we're based in D.C., WPA Intelligence is, but yeah. I have been in, lived in Oklahoma City really since my kids were young. Uh, I have two boys now who are both in college at the University of Oklahoma and had been there uh, for, with the exception of a couple of years during 2015 and 16 during the Cruiser President campaign, have been there full time. And so, yeah, we uh, we moved actually officially into our house in Atlanta at the very beginning of June. And uh, so, yeah, been here longer than I thought, almost a month now. I didn't know you were in Atlanta. I'm there all the time. Luckily, not as much as I was during the debacle that was the Herschel Walker for U.S. Senate campaign. But, <laughs> Sorry, uh, but I'm in Atlanta all the time, so I have to give you give you a shout next time I'm over there, man. And speaking of Oklahoma, is your son's your son still playing football there? Right? He is. Yeah, he is. Uh, he, for the first time in his life, he played being quarterback his entire career, and uh, he transferred to the University of Oklahoma, and he's they moved into tight end. So yeah, he got a lot of playing time in the spring game, and we'll see how it works out during the fall. So are you going to be going back and forth from Atlanta yeah, to Oklahoma? I have, uh, you know, Wesley, you've got boys, so you understand the significance of this. But Denver played his first football game at five years old. And at that point, you know how much we have to travel for what we do. I am probably of all the things I've accomplished in my life. I don't cannot think of one I am prouder of than to tell you right now is an entire career, say 10 to 12 games a year. I've missed two games, two from the ages of five through he's now played two years of college ball. This will be his third year. And yeah, I just I, I really take a lot of pride in that. And, uh, and one of them was not my fault. I was in Houston during the during the presidential campaign. And I actually talked to the athletic director. Oklahoma was in a where the school is was in a tornado warning. So I talked to him and said, "What are the chances you play?" He goes, zero. There's zero chance at all we play. And uh, they ended up playing the game after all. You know, it shows Oklahoma. Yeah, the tornado hadn't touched down yet. We can still get a game in. And uh, I thought, well, what's it turned into kind of a cool story because I was able to get somebody to broadcast the game live using um, uh, what was the Twitter technology back in 2015 that. Uh, yeah. Periscope, Periscope. Yeah, Periscope. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot all so about they that. Periscope yeah. the whole thing and I put it up on. We had uh, some big screens that we used to watch the news. We had Fox, CNN, MSNBC going all the time. And I had all three of them playing Denver's football game. And, and it was uh, so the whole uh, the whole campaign. It's probably we lost New Hampshire because, you know, we gave up some time to go watch the Denver's <laughs> game. So I'm, um, I'm going out to, uh, I got a big 100 miler coming up in August and I'm heading out to acclimate for the hills for the mountains i should say in august and i'm I'm flying home just to see my uh, eight-year-old's theater performance and my wife's like why would you come home why are you flying all the way back from breckenridge you know two-hour drive to denver fly from denver all the way across the country just for a 90-minute theater performance i'm like because that's what being a dad's about. Like, I don't, I don't want right. to get to older and then have regretted missing that theater performance or him looking out there and me not being there. 
No, there's nothing like it. And again, looking back at the, you know, now, of course, I'm going to be there when he's playing for the University of Oklahoma, but when he's playing for the PCO Panthers, you know, that wasn't, they, they didn't have the same kind of crowds and the same sort of cheering and the, and the same parking problems that, you know, they didn't do in Norman, but it, it's still, there's nothing like watching those games when he was playing for city championships or league championships or, you know, just medals and rings and things like that. And yeah, some of my, proudest memories of a dad or standing there in the stands and watch what he accomplished. And I would trade uh, watching him play, take his first snap as a college quarterback uh, when he was playing in Mount Vernon, Iowa of all places, this little bitty town. It's the recruitment for him was during COVID. It was like a whole different thing and kind of screwed it really screwed up a lot of kids lives. But um, I, I can tell you going through college recruiting during that was really particularly difficult for him. And uh, watching that, I would put that right up against uh, standing in the uh, the center we were at in Des Moines, Iowa, and winning the Iowa caucus. You know, it's the same level of feeling, the pride that you uh, feel for your son going through that. And so I, I commend you on that, Wesley, and you've got your priorities straight because uh, no matter what we may do in life, nothing will ever compare with being a father. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, my eight-year-old isn't very athletic. He's in the theater. And my four-year-old, you know, he's still too young to kind of figure it out. But my six-year-old, he's into boxing which is which is really fun yeah of all the things for him to get into so maybe maybe in a few years i'll be at madison square garden or in vegas you know watching him watching him box that'll be our equivalent to him being on the oklahoma sooners football team (laughs) i doubt his mom's gonna let him stay in that long though she's she's already starting to get nervous about the head injuries i'm like come on i can imagine that's tough (laughs) so how is uh how is it being in atlanta on uh the never back down uh side of the operation well, you may have seen just announcements came out that uh, the governor DeSantis set a record for fundraising for a non-presidential for a non-incumbent president in the wow. period of time since he announced that it was five weeks, and uh, and then the overall effort on behalf of the Super PAC has been has set records too. So between the DeSantis campaign and the Super PAC, uh, we just uh, it announced 150 million dollars raised, and I, I feel really good about what we are accomplishing here because we're laying the groundwork. As um, as I kind of alluded to earlier. For Ted Cruz in 2015, 2016, we built what I consider to be one of the most innovative data programs in the history of politics, Republican or Democrat. And we we really planned for that and we focused on it, but we only had the funding, Wesley, to do it in Iowa. We didn't have the funding to build ahead of that. And so we did that. We concentrated. We won Iowa. And then you've been involved in presidential campaigns. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like it's sort of like standing in the ocean. And you got some waves coming at you, and all of a sudden, this huge wave comes at you. It's called Super Tuesday, <laughs> and you're just treading water, trying to st- trying to keep your head above it, not drown. And that's kind of what I felt like after Iowa. And it's the benefit, you know, mo- a lot, many people, most people who go through this don't do it twice. And there's a reason for that, right? It's uh, what yeah. takes away from your family. It is exhausting. It is all-encompassing. Uh, you become you attract attention that you didn't want to attract. You know, you have people come up and recognize you in weird ways, some positive and some very not un, not positive. And uh, so that's why a lot of people only do this one time. But I'll tell you, there are the benefits and the, to doing it twice cannot be overstated because you recognize all the mistakes. You you recognize what you did right. Uh, and, but you also really recognize what you did wrong. And I learned a lot more from the things I did wrong in 15 and 16, uh, for Ted Cruz. And I'm able to put that to work now. And I think working here in Atlanta and, you know, Connor McGuire, who's here and working with me on a daily basis as deputy data director. And then we've got a couple of other folks from WPA downhill here, Crystal Kerrigan 
and uh, Andres Gayante, who are uh, who are just dedicated, and we really are putting all our time and effort into it. And you know, I wouldn't pick up and move my family from Oklahoma City to Atlanta if I didn't believe so strongly in this and how important this is for the future of our country. And uh, look, we all do that, right? You get out of bed doing what you do every day because you believe what you're doing is important for the future of our country. And we love this country and love our uh, our, our families and, and the freedom that they are afforded by the, the ideology that we hold dear. And I, that's uh, so how's it going? It's going great, but I have no choice to have, have it go great because, you know, yeah. man, when I work out of bed every morning, I hear battle him of the Republic in my, in my head. And that's what <laughs> marches me into office. And I'm excited to do it. And I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I have one of the coolest jobs in the world. And I get to work for somebody who I believe in every day. And I, and I, I would say that about all my clients. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm very like you. I'm, I'm very careful about who I pick to work with. I feel like yeah. I, I always try and work for the most conservative candidate I believe who can win. And uh, that's important to me. Someone who shares my values, shares my faith, and shares their love for America and their families and uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all those things kind of come together to me, and that's what motivates me. And so that is uh, – how's it going? It's uh, I couldn't be happier. And again, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. That's awesome, man. Is uh, Jeff and the whole crew in Atlanta? Did everybody move out? Uh, in and out. It is. It, it's not as all hands on deck all the time right now as it was in Houston. And I think that's just because, you know, it's a little bit of a, a different situation, the super PAC. So it really does allow for a little bit more of a, of a working around the country, but yeah, Jeff is here a lot. And uh, yeah, the, Jeff Rowe, who we're talking about the senior strategist and then uh, Chris Jankowski, who is the CEO of the effort and Kristen Davidson, who's a COO and David Polyansky, who is the national political director. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. really some, some of, if not the best group I've ever had the opportunity to work with in politics. And it's really been just an absolute uh, privilege for me to get a chance to spend uh, every day working with them because they are, again, it's a, it's a phenomenal work group of people and people who are doing this for the right reasons. I can tell you uh, the ground effort in South Carolina is pretty strong. Uh, I mean, those giant door hangers that are almost the size of a door. <laughs> you try, you go down any street here in the low country and you see these door hangers everywhere. So the, the door knockers are certainly putting in the work. Now, as far as you and Connor, are, are you heading up all the polling and the data or just the data because yes. you do both at your company we you, ex you explain that a little bit yeah we i will it's um because it's important i there's a lot of criticism and with good reason of the modern polling industry and i think that is because a lot of polls are done today the way they were done going back to george gallup which is you call people up and you ask them oh you're good are you registered to vote I'm like, oh, sure i guess i am registered to vote well are you going to vote in november yeah sure probably i'm going to vote in november what about your primary in february well yeah sure i'll probably vote in it and then okay well who are you going to vote for and uh, as scientific as that may sound, it's not the best way to do a survey anymore. So, yes, we do predictive analytics. And uh, without putting your listeners to sleep, I'll just say the short version of how we do that is we append thousands and thousands of pieces of first, second, and third-party data. And then we utilize machine learning and uh, through that predictive algorithms that go in and build scores for someone's likelihood to do something that could be likelihood to listen to a podcast could be likelihood uh, to buy a pull great pullover. And in this case, it is likelihood to turn out and vote. And even in some cases who they're likely to vote for. Now off, we will do the who they're likely, whether or not they're likely to turn out to vote first, because that is how we get by all those silly questions. I asked you at the outset that of course, People are going to say yes to that social desirability bias shows you or teaches you that they're going to say yes to. 
And so we avoid that and we call people who we've already scored as likely to vote. Now we may drop under if you figure a zero is no chance they're going to vote and a one is absolute likelihood to vote. 0.5 is going to be the middle of that, right? So usually what that means is anyone above 0.5 is who makes it in the survey and below 0.5 may not. Now in the course of doing our surveys, which are going to be very different than those you'll see uh, talked about by the uh, by the breathless, pearl-clutching, crouch-fading mm-hmm. media about the polls right now, is we don't really care who is likely to vote today. What we care about is who is likely to vote in the future, and more importantly, who is likely to vote for whomever, whichever candidate we may be working for if we are to touch them in a certain way. So those, those door hangers you are here seeing in South Carolina – uh, whether it's in this case or whether it's any other candidate we may be working for. And uh, as you know, we did Glenn Youngkin in 2021, same sort of situation where we were able to identify people who might not normally vote in a Virginia gubernatorial election, but if they did vote, would vote for Glenn Youngkin. And so we would then target them specifically. So we were able to change the face of the turnout electorate for the purposes of pushing a Youngkin win. And that's the same thing we do in every race we're involved in. So that's why we have the win record that we do is because it is less. We don't just accept the political environment that is afforded to us. We try and uh, and push that environment in the same way that if someone like I know you're an investor in a brewery, if you only like if you brewed a beer and then said, well, let's see who likes it and then did no marketing whatsoever, you may or may not be successful. But if you then marketed that beer to people who like to drink beer, people who likely drink that type of beer, well, you're far more likely to be successful. And I think one of the challenges uh, that we as Republicans often have is we take the former approach rather than the latter, is that like, well, we're right on the issues. We are, uh, we believe in America and we believe in freedom. And so we, uh, we should, we're better I, when you take Republican ideals and conservative ideals, they end up in a better world. They create a better state, for instance. You compare Florida to California, and there's no contest, right? You got everyone leaving California as fast as they can and moving to Florida. That should be easy. Joe Biden's an absolute failure. Foreign policy is a mess. Inflation's through the roof. And you look at Florida, it's the exact opposite. So it should be easy, right? But the fact is, you've got to be able to talk about that and explain it and market it to people. And so that's what I feel like we are able to do by building, using predictive analytics to understand who it is that might not nor otherwise might not vote in a normal situation. But if we can let them know a little bit about who Glenn Youngkin was or who Ron DeSantis is or who uh, Kevin Stitt is, the governor of Oklahoma, and we're able to share that message with them, they will come out and vote and be more likely to vote. And that is the way in which we do surveys. So yes, we do analytics and yes, we do survey research, but our survey research is done to the universe of people who will definitely vote. And then those who might vote with the right information, we include in that so that we're able to there, therefore know how in which to motivate them so that they do vote. And that's how we have an impact on elections on behalf of our clients. You know, I work on a lot of campaigns, Chris, where the GC brings on a polling firm and a data firm separately. So your argument is that they should be one and the same. You know, I don't know that I would argue that. I just think we're better at both of those than anybody else. Not surprisingly, <laughs> if I didn't. <laughs> but uh, no, there's plenty of times where we work with other polling firms. Uh, we will do the data if we're not doing the polling. We will not do the, the polling if we're not doing the data. And the reason for that is just I don't trust. Uh, I, I've built too many predictive models in terms of likelihood to turn out over the course of the last, the first one we built was in 2010 for at the time, a little known uh, lawyer from Salt Lake city who was named Mike Lee, who was challenging incumbent United States Senator. 
And uh, we've been doing it since then. And I just feel like we are better at it than anybody else. And so I'm not going to stake my reputation when it comes to survey research and the accuracy and usability of that when I have to rely on somebody else's turnout models to do so. That's how important it is to me. So we will turn down work if we're not doing the analytics. We will do the analytics if someone else is doing the polling. So it's kind of a, a push and pull. Well, you've been doing this a long time, a lot longer than me. In fact, I was talking to Terry Sullivan and Scott Farmer the other day, and you guys go yeah. way back to like a South Carolina congressional race or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so you've been doing this a long time, but do you have any favorite war stories or one favorite story that kind of sticks out in your mind? Well, you know, it's um, it, it's tough to say just one because, like I said, I have been doing this a while. I will tell you, though, probably my favorite one just from a standpoint of who it represents uh, and what it says about our industry and how it is that we have to deal with candidates all kind of rolled up in one. And it was uh, in 1996, I was working on the polling team for the Dole for President campaign. And I was so far down the totem pole, I was really taking out the trash for the for the polling team. But one morning, we were in the uh, in the campaign office, which was you know DC. It's over there by it's when the the building CNN's in, right over by Union Station. And uh, we're over there early. We just gotten tracking numbers back. This is old school days. You know, we had to like get them off the fax machine, and then we might get something emailed to us. And I'm doing the programming to run cross tabs, and so we walk out in the hallway, and we just got the numbers back. And uh, Senator Dole's there. So it's really just us and Senator Dole, who, you know, is that at this point, he is the Republican nominee for president of the United States. And it's probably late September, early October. And he asked my boss, the Times guy, Tony Fabrizio, which is interesting because he's now uh, President Trump's pollster. And he asked Tony, uh, what is, what do the numbers look like? And Tony says, well, Senator, we're, we're down 10. And Dole looks at him for a little bit, kind of thinks. Says no, feels more like seven. <laughs> All right, feels like seven. We must not be down seven. And it's just uh, how many times you've been in a situation like that where you kind of—I mean, really, there's so many soft sciences that go into our industry. You know, from the digital standpoint, the TV standpoint, the mail standpoint. But when you create a, when you build uh, a website, or you do a digital ad, or you were involved in a TV ad, you kind of know it's right, but there's no way you can quantitatively prove it. You just kind of know it, right? That's what makes you good at what you do. But in this case, it's kind of like, no, we did a thousand interviews. There wasn't a hundred, there wasn't just 70 people that we were down. There was a hundred people. I mean, it's a, this isn't, but yeah, what are you going to do? Argue with Bob Dole and tell him that he's wrong (laughs) on this. So this is bigger. You take the candidate out of the equation for a second, but the problem with politics is because of digital because of 24 hour cable news everybody thinks they're a political expert and here yeah. you and i like obviously i don't look at it like you do but i mean i'm looking through at least two sets of cross tabs every single day and then i got this moron that'll be on twitter telling me oh the, the voters don't believe that or the election's not going this way i'm like I, i'm legitimately studying hundreds of pages of cross tabs and you just happened to have turned on fox news for 10 minutes last night <laughs> Right. Well, you know, but he did turn on Fox News for 10 minutes. How many minutes? How long did you watch it? So, you know, you probably zero, zero minutes, <laughs> zero, zero minutes. Yeah. I don't watch it. But my point is, you know, not everybody's Bob Dole. He probably was closer to being an expert than most. But it's the problem is that 
everybody is now an expert in it. And you can run a poll that says you're 10 points up and then you're going to have some, you know, a hundred jackasses on Twitter saying, no, you're 25 points down. Yeah, no, I can, I can take the ones on Twitter because it's easy to kind of ignore those. I'll tell you what, it's whenever your mom starts calling you and saying, you know, Chris, you really need to do this because you guys are falling behind. I, I live, like I said, I lived until recently in Oklahoma in Oklahoma and it was really a, an interesting situation because I was doing uh governor shit there as a client. And I don't know if you watch this at all, but there was a lot of public polling coming out that showed him down to his Democrat opponent, Joy Hoffmeister. Now, let me be clear. Our polling never had the race even close, Wesley. We never had it within – at one point, um, the there was some polling that showed it like a high single digits, like seven to nine points. But we never had it as a firm. WPA never had it under 10. But there was three different polling firms that are based in the state. I know you guys have the same thing in South Carolina. These local firms are putting numbers yeah. out showing her up five points or so over him. And so he's freaking out as it is. I'm like, calm down. You're going to be fine. But then my mom calls her. She's you guys are screwing this thing up. You need to start talking about this and this. And what am I supposed to do? So my mom, she's wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, mom. I'll go talk to the campaign right now. We'll change, we'll change traffic. We'll cut new ads. I'll get it all under control. I promise. And yeah, it's uh, that's whenever it gets really challenging. Yeah. I had my mother-in-law uh, come over to the house the other day and told me she was not happy that I was running a town council race <laughs> in our area. I was like. Man, that's when things get really tough. I mean, President of the United States or Governor of State has nothing on city council, town council, school boards. That's whenever you end up with people egging your house. You got to be careful. Uh, they get bad. Well, the ones you really don't want to mess with are the sheriff's races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a DA race. Got my car key. Yeah, that's awesome, right. So. <laughs> Start like, getting the yeah. law enforcement involved. You're really screwed. But man, yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you giving me your time. That was perfect. And I, I know you're one of the busiest men in politics right now, so it means that's a lot. Nice. Well, man, it's always good to see you and good to catch up. And I'm happy to do it. And sorry it took so long to get on it. I'm happy to come back anytime you want. Nah, man, it's exactly what we needed. And I'm in Atlanta all the time, at least once a month. So I'll give you a shout next time I'm there. And Please we'll do. Get together Please for do. some drinks and tell everybody Sounds I said, great. hey. I'm here all the time. I will not be leaving at all, except for the weekends of OU football games you mentioned earlier. Besides that, I'm here 24-7. Nice, man. Well, I would all say right. good luck, but you know we're doing Vivek Ramaswamy, so I can't wish you too much luck. But well, good luck. He I always, like I, 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 I will at least wish you luck uh, in your business. How about that? You know, Wesley, I think you and I have another <laughs> thing in common that we're both voracious readers, and I've loved his books. I'll tell you, Woke Eek, I thought was a, a real eye-opening book for me, and so uh, I, I wish you a lot of uh, success in working for him. Just not in the primary, but in everything else, he does <laughs> a lot of success. <laughs> I hear your brother. Hey, man, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Let's see, man.